The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, they'd heard and received the message of salvation, and this was costly to them. There was a tremendous amount of persecution in those initial weeks of hearing the gospel. And as time passed, because of what they had heard, they thought that Christ was going to return soon. And some demonstrated this this thinking by, by becoming idle. Some people demonstrated this thinking and and thinking that Christ was going to return home and and being anxious and worrying and being concerned to the point where some of them, in fact, wondered if they had missed the return of Jesus. Some, as in Corinth, likely believed that the resurrection was something that was only spiritual. It wasn't something that was physically going to happen. So they began to take all of these different thoughts and feelings and they began to come up with their own ideas of what the resurrection of Jesus was going to look like. Timothy had come and gone, reporting back to Paul who issued them a letter. We call that letter today 1 Thessalonians and we spent last month reading through most of that letter. And in this letter, Paul is encouraging them to be patient. He was encouraging them to be encouraged because Christ was coming back and they were to use their time in encouraging others. Their their encouragement from Paul's words weren't meant to terminate on themselves. They were meant to be spread and to be shared by the people. But there were others in the group, and they were, they were still asking questions. They were still talking. They were still wondering, when is Jesus going to return? Some people came and told the Thessalonians that they had a message from God. They had actually seen a vision from God, and they had missed the return of Christ. And then one letter, if we, were to, if we were to read 2 Thessalonians 2 carefully, like we're going to do in a moment, at one point a letter showed up claiming to be from Paul, essentially stating that the return of Christ had come and gone. What is this church in Thessalonica who's, who's now 18 months to a year old or to two years old? What, what are they supposed to think? How are they supposed to operate? They've heard that Christ has come back and really nothing has changed in their lives. Those who had been idle became more idle and those who had been anxious had become more anxious and it is into this mindset where, where Paul and Silas and Timothy, they write a second letter to the church at Thessalonica. They have some more things to say, particularly about the return of Christ. These are people who had faithfully learned and grown, yet they were still anxious They were still worried because they were much like us, much like many of us who have become followers of Christ. And and sometimes our salvation or our relationship with Jesus doesn't maybe work out in the way that we thought it would. 
or Jesus is maybe taking a little too long to return. So we start to wonder, we start to have questions. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can also follow along in the YouVersion app where we have all of the verses from today in that, in that app. In 2 Thessalonians 2, what we're going to see is a text that, that explains three issues that the Thessalonians are facing about the way they're thinking about the return of Christ. It's going to tell them not to be shaken or alarmed by those who've said it's already started. He's going to tell them, don't believe those who say any of these things, no matter how it is communicated. And then the third thing he's going to tell them is don't be fooled by what people say. Let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 together. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. So I'm going to stop right here for a moment. I'm going to flip my Bible page back to the end of chapter 3, verse 17. My Bible has this in all caps and in a larger font. And it says this, Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all my letters to prove they are from me. So one of the things that we can kind of gather from what we've just read and we can gather by what Paul says at the end is there is someone or some ones who are claiming to be Paul and what they're doing is they are sending letters to churches, giving them instructions, telling them false things. So what Paul is doing here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is essentially saying this, don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you hear. And he's going to explain more of this in a moment. But Paul is, Paul is concerned that people are speaking in his name. And they're not saying things that are consistent with the message. So at the end of this letter, he's going to make sure in big handwriting that everyone knows that he wrote this letter. Verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 2. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. 
For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Essentially what Paul is saying here is there's an order to the end. There's an order to the end. And though he doesn't mention it, because 1 Thessalonians ought to be fresh on our minds, we can flip back a few pages and we can see that in the end, when Jesus returns, there's going to be a commanding shout. There's going to be the voice of an archangel. There's going to be the trumpet call of God. And these things are all going to happen at the exact same time. The signs will be obvious. You haven't missed the return of Christ. You haven't missed it. As we said several weeks ago, you'll know when it happens. You'll know. About a month ago, I was, I was leaving the office one afternoon and I walked outside and started walking across the parking lot to my car and I heard this this really strange noise. It was like this, like this metallic hum. And seriously, I had a series of thoughts, and, and I posted about this on my Facebook page, but I had a series of thoughts, and they went something like this. I have seen this science fiction movie before. And I started to look up, wondering what alien craft was going to come screaming across the sky at me. I was wondering, how fast am I going to get back into the building when this all goes down? Because I didn't see like any other cars. It was completely silent except for this noise. And then I looked down and I saw a bug on the, on the parking lot and I was like, okay, I think I'm safe. But, but here's what I didn't think. Like as ridiculous as that is, can we agree that's ridiculous? Here's what I didn't think. I never once thought that was the return of Christ. Never once. Because those three things weren't happening. It wasn't them. It might have been the end of the world with aliens, but it wasn't the end of the world with Jesus. Right? The Thessalonian church has not missed the return of Christ. They haven't missed it. And he's going to kind of go through a few things. And, this is, and these are the kind of things that I have tried to warn you against for the last six years of my time here at Westway Christian Church. He's going to start talking about some things, and these are the kinds of things that are cause or alarm for people. He's going to mention the man of lawlessness. This is an Old Testament concept that Paul is tapping into. It's actually from the book of Daniel, and it's talking about end times, how this man of lawlessness is going to come. And we don't know who this person is. 
The Thessalonians did not know who this person was. Some of them probably thought they knew, just like some of you think you know. That wasn't the point of the letter. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to tell them that there is, that there is an order. And God knows the identity of this person. And this ought to be really good news for us. This person is not going to operate outside of God's plan. Isn't that good news? Like this person, this man of lawlessness, is not going to operate outside of God's plan. God has every single thing under his control, even the end. God knows how it's going to end. So what he's doing is he's giving them just enough information that they will receive comfort from this. Everything is under his control. Many, many, many years ago, when we lived in northwest Iowa, we lived in this town called Rock Rapids, and I was going to college in another town called Sioux Center. And there were a couple different ways to get to Sioux Center, and particularly to get to the college that I was going to. And one day, this was probably in February, maybe March, I decided I was going to take what I called the back way to get to Sioux Center because it kind of puts you out right by the college. I'm sure I was running a little bit late that morning, which had something to do with that decision. So I started to drive. We had a rear-wheel drive pickup. The road was icy. You can start to put two and two together on what happened. And there was this moment as I'm driving down the road and I feel something start to happen and I kind of look out my left side, look out the, look out the window, and I kind of see like the back of my pickup truck swinging around next to me, right? Things were very out of control very quickly. And I remember as I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the midst of this, all of a sudden, and this is probably, this couldn't have been, if it was five seconds, all of a sudden, I remember rolling down. I like slid all the way around, rolled into the ditch. I flipped in the air. Like it happened so fast that it was a flip. And then landed on the side. And there I was hanging in my seatbelt. Sometimes life feels like that car accident. It feels like it is completely and totally out of control. And what Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica is this not out of control? The return of Christ is, is going to seem random. This is what we talked about. For the Christian, what Paul is trying to communicate is the only thing that's going to be surprised when Christ returns is the timing. Not that it happens. Because some things have to happen first. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to He's trying to calm the Thessalonians down. You haven't missed the resurrection. We haven't seen this man of lawlessness. I know life seems like it's out of control. What you need to do, my brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, you need to trust in Jesus. You need to trust that God has all of this under his control. Not your control, not your timing, his control. Verse 7 talks about the, the lawlessness is already at work. 
They saw this then. They were living in the midst of lawlessness. And if we were, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would look around and we see lots of lawlessness today. We see lots of things that are happening today. And as Christians, we, we shouldn't be surprised by this. And I know this is, this is one of those John-isms. Maybe you're going to add this to your notepad of things that John always says. One of the things that continually surprises me is when Christians talk about our world and how evil our world is, and then they act surprised by it. I confess I don't, like, I don't get it. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be saddened by it. But I don't think we should be surprised by it. We are living, according to what Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, as much as it was true then, it's certainly more true now, 2,000 years later. We're living in an age of lawlessness, And what I want to tell you, what I want to tell my Christian friends is, get over it. Understand the times in which we live. Because we have a mission and we have a purpose. I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but something that Cody said last week is, there are times where we can be so, so wrapped up in all of these other things, We get mired in all of these other things that we forget the truth of what Scripture is. And this is a call for us to not be mired in something. And this is an easy thing for us to get mired into. One of the things I like about verses 9 through 12 is that Satan is operating intentionally to deceive us. That's that's what this is saying. As we think about this age of lawlessness in which we live, there is an intentional effort to deceive. And I know for some of us, maybe that sounds, maybe that doesn't sound true. Maybe that sounds like John should be wearing a tinfoil hat as he gives this message. That doesn't mean that I think lurking around every corner on every web page that I see that someone is trying to deceive me. But according to what Scripture is telling me, and according to what Scripture is telling you, there is an effort to deceive us. There is an effort to speak against the truth. And and Paul says those things are going to come in counterfeit power, counterfeit signs, and counterfeit miracles. And here's here's what that means. It means they're they're going to be hard for us to determine. There are times where we are going to hear something that is proclaimed to us as a truth that's going to sound an awful lot like the truth. As Christians, we have a responsibility to measure everything we hear according to the truth. This is one of the reasons why on Sunday mornings we ask you to follow along in your Bible with us. This is one of the reasons why I like that not all of you use the same translation that I use. This is one of the reasons that I like on Monday mornings when Dave Robinson says, I have an NLT rant for you this morning. 
See, we have different translations. This is, this is meant as a check. This is how we ought to live our lives as Christians. And I'm not saying the NLT is evil. Dave might disagree with that. But I don't, the NLT is not evil. But we are called, we are called to serve as a check on the things that we hear. And as a Christian, if there's, if there's something that's said that, we, that we're not sure we understand, we're not sure we agree with, our responsibility is to ask. Because the way Paul is describing this deceiver is it's going to sound like it's the truth. It's going to sound good. And these things are going to be believed, what Paul is telling us. They might even sound logical. They might even make sense to us. But here's, here's the thing, they won't be true. They might make sense, but they won't be true. And what Paul talks about here is, is these people who, who believe those things, who operate without, without a check, those people who operate in the midst of this deception, they are willingly going to their destruction. I know that there are times in my life where, where I've trusted people, I've believed people, I've, I've allowed the phrase, well, it can't really be this bad. I want to believe this person. I want to trust this person. I want to act in accordance with what they're saying. So I kind of just take what they say, literally. I take what they say as truth, only to find out weeks, months, maybe even years later that they were lying to me. Have you ever had that happen to you? I think one of the reasons that happens is because those voices that we hear seem so logical to us. We don't want to believe bad things about people. We, we don't want to hear those things, but it's our responsibility. And then I've also noticed after that's happened, like it's oh, it, like 2020 vision, right? I could just look back and be like, man, if I would have done this, said that, read that, like I would have, I would have smoked this person out in a millisecond. But instead, I believed it. And this is the age in which we live. Verse 11 says something that we need to talk briefly about. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. I want you to be very careful with this text. We have to remember that verse 11 is in the context of what comes before. Here's what's happening in this text. These people are being deceived. They're making their own choices. And what God is allowing them to do is to, is to go their own way. And maybe that sounds to us. Maybe that sounds harsh. Maybe that sounds unkind. But as I think about this, if I'm driving down the highway and the speed limit is 65 miles an hour and I'm going 65 and someone drives by me at 80, whose fault is that? Is that the state's fault? Is it the driver's fault? We know the answer to that question. 
See, what God does is he shares with us the truth. He makes plain to us the truth. And some of us, always all of us at some point in our lives, we just don't want to be obedient to what God calls us to. And one of the questions that I think of as I'm wrestling kind of through this this paradox of the way God works and how he allows people free will, how he allows people to do what they want to, in some ways it sounds kind of mean, it sounds kind of nasty, but I have to ask myself, well, what do I want God to do? Do I really want God to stop me from everything I would ever do? Who wants to operate in that way? See, what God is doing is he wants us to be a people who desire to be obedient to him. And what he does when we don't listen, when we are disobedient, he allows the consequences of our actions to be natural. And I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 1 to see what this looks like like in real life. God allows people the freedom to reject him. And all I have to do is just think back to my last week of prayers, and I wonder, if I would have gotten every single thing I prayed for in the last week, how much of that would actually have glorified God? I don't want God to give me everything I want, because there are still parts of me that are unrighteous. There are parts of me that have wishes, wants, desires, and preferences that do not align with God's will. And unfortunately, I am the kind of person, and so are you, the kind of person that only learns through disobedience. We only learn through disobedience. And what God does is he causes them to be greatly deceived, and they believe those lies. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you about the good, when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we pass to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us And by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. I want you to notice how Paul begins this little section. This transition to how he's going to begin to end the letter. He tells them who God is. He tells them who Jesus is. And he tells them about the grace and mercy extended by God and Jesus to them. This ought to sound very familiar 
to us. We talked about it last week at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. What Paul is constantly doing, what we try to mimic here at Westway, is to constantly ground you in your identity as a child of God. That is your most important identity, is who you are in Christ. And now twice in the same letter, Paul is going to ground them in their identity of who God is. They're filled with anxiety about the return of Christ. Remember who you are in God. They're not working. They're lazy. They're idle. Because Christ is going to come back any day now, or we've missed it. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what God has done for you. Be grounded in these things. This is why they're saved. They're not saved because they believe the right thing about the return of Christ. They're saved because of who they are in Christ. They're saved because of their belief in Christ. And this salvation as they think about the the wave of culture coming against them, as they think about the deceitfulness of others coming against them, this salvation is is the check against that deceitfulness. They're going to hear things that are false, and they're going to be like, oh, wait a minute, that's not true. They're going to hear things that are false, and they're going to be grounded in Christ. They have something to cling to. They have something to hold on to. And Paul talks here in in this section, he's giving them a command. Because rather rather than them trying to figure out end times, they're given a command. And it's simple. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and in writing. Paul, Silas, and Timothy... We're in Thessalonica for three to four weeks. Many of them converted. People in the church became followers of Christ. Timothy returned and and certainly he spent time teaching. They had heard teaching. Goes back to where Paul is. Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. Filled with instruction. Filled with teaching. Filled with things for them to learn. They can read that. How am I to act in a certain way? How am I to behave in a certain way? What am I supposed to do when this happens? What am I supposed to do when that happens? Oh yeah, we can go back. We can hear Paul's letter to us. So they had enough because they had Christ. And what Paul is telling them is stand firm and keep a strong grip on what we've already told you. It's enough. When this wave of persecution comes, when these wave of deceitful teachers comes, stay firm to the faith. One of the things that we need to recognize here is this stand firm and keep a strong grip. These are active verbs. And here's what that means. This requires something of us. Standing firm and keeping a strong grip requires something of us. 
It requires time, effort, and energy. Because we can hear truth and not stand firm in it. We can hear truth and not keep a tight grip on it. And what Paul is doing here is he's telling them, I'm, not, I'm really not telling you anything, we, anything new. Did you catch the part? Let me find the verse. Verse 5, chapter 2. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? That kind of tells me that Paul's already said this to them before. Imagine being Paul having to rewrite all of this stuff out to them. I told you about the man of lawlessness. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. And what you need to do is stand firm and keep a grip. Over the past two days, our son John and I went hiking over at Vitavu in Wyoming. And we did climbing and bouldering and all sorts of other things. And, and there were times when we were doing this, if you've ever done anything like that, there were times when we were hiking out there, we had to stand firm. One particular uh, thing comes to my mind on Friday afternoon, if you've ever been there, there's like this box canyon that you kind of go out into, and then you can kind of climb and you have all of these different choices of these hills all the way around you. And John and I thought, hey, it would be pretty cool to go like to the top of that one. Well, we had no idea how we were going to do that. So we just started climbing. Some spaces we could walk, some spaces it was on all fours, climbing up there. And we got to this point where, where we realized what we had to do is we had to go around the backside of the hill that we were climbing in order to climb it that way. And as soon as we kind of broke through this little place to the north, all of a sudden we felt the northern wind hit us. And like two minutes earlier, because we were protected by the rocks, didn't feel it. But as soon as we walked around, it was just, it was there. And then as we kind of climbed around and then started to climb up, it was at our, it was at our backs the whole time. And due to the things that we were having to jump over and kind of climb and scale, with that wind, there were moments where we had to stand firm. Certainly when we got to the top and the wind is at our backs and you're like 250 feet up and you're kind of at the edge like this, you're standing like this. It's like, you better stand firm. Because if that wind blows too much and you're not paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to fall. We need to stand firm. And then yesterday, we again went climbing significantly slower than on Saturday or than on Friday afternoon. We were dead tired Saturday. But we went back to that same place and instead of going off to the right, we went off to the left. And we got up to this point where we were kind of in this little crevasse and we wanted to climb up it. And we were trying to figure out like how we're going to do it. Well, there's this tree that was growing out of the rock. And we had to kind of pull ourselves up using this tree as leverage and putting our feet between the rocks and do all of this kind of thing. It was a bit technical and really demanded a strong grip. And these are the verbs that are used 
as we think about how we are to apply the truth of Scripture in our lives, this is what Paul is talking about. You need to stand firm, church in Thessalonica, because the winds are blowing against you. You need to stand firm. You, you can't let your guard down. In fact, when John and I got up on Saturday to where we were, we, we jokingly talked about what would have happened if, if and it was me, of course, he, he said it was me, he didn't say it was him. Um, he jokingly said that if you would have fallen down into that crevasse, I'm not sure what I would have done because you had the cell phone. So I would have had to come down and get you or I would have had to go down to the bottom and try and find help for them to get a helicopter up to you. So we had to stand firm. We had to keep with a tight grip because there are, there are consequences. What Paul is talking about in this text is, is there are consequences to being deceived. There's this sign at Vitavu just when you drive in that I thought was a little telling. Warning. Rock climbing and bouldering are extremely dangerous activities that can result in broken bones, paralysis, permanent injury, and even death. Engage at these activities only at your own risk. See, there are, as I think back to our last couple days, there were literally dozens of times where the slightest misstep, slip, or misjudgment in distance would have been catastrophic. And depending on the kind of people that we allow into our lives to speak truth to us, the slightest misstep, the slightest slip, the slightest miscalculation in distance can be catastrophic for us in our faith. That's what Paul is saying. Like there's no one, as we're climbing up there, there's no one who works at that location. There's no one who works at that location saying, oh no, you probably want to put your foot there. Don't go that way. Don't do this. You know what would be a really easy way? Climb up around that way. It's not how it works. What we have is a God who's telling us how it works, who's providing us guidance, gives us insight in how we are to live. And then yesterday morning, I also, there's a little trail that runs around the whole thing. There were a few arrows telling hikers where to go, but not enough for my comfort. I wish they would have had more. Imagine for a moment if someone had gone onto that trail and placed faulty markers. Imagine how catastrophic that would be. How willingly deceitful that would be. And what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is we have an enemy who is out to deceive us. And we have the responsibility as Christians to stand firm and to take a firm grip on the truth. This is our responsibility. This is not one of the things that someone else can do for you. And what I so desire for you is that you, as the body, would, would, take, would take this responsibility seriously. Would take advantage of what God has given us. 
because this doesn't have to be our story. What I love about what Paul says is he is, this truth has been passed on to him. And as Cody said, the more we are grounded in truth, the less we are going to be mired in other things. The less we're going to be caught up in other things. And as I observe people, including myself, because I'm a people, it's very easy to get mired in things that take me away from the truth. It's very easy for me to get wrapped up in things that take me from the truth, and that's not what Paul is calling them to do. And here he's going to end this section again. He's going to ground them in Jesus. He's going to ground them in God. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. One of the things that struck me as I read through First and Second Thessalonians over the past several months is just how encouraging these letters are. And this is what I think, this is, the, this is the Mulholland paraphrase of what I think Paul is saying here. I'm telling you all of this out of confidence and trust. You're not going to get wrapped up in all of this nonsense because you've experienced true salvation from God. Wouldn't it be amazing for us as Christians to not get wrapped up in things that don't matter? Because we are so confident in the salvation that Christ has given us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think one of the, time, one of the reasons why we get mired in things is because we, we think we've earned our own salvation. We forget that it's Christ who has given us salvation. We forget that it is Christ who has all of these things planned out. All of these things lined out. He knows the end of the story. And in the midst of my own hardships and frustrations and disappointments, rather than casting accusations at God, what would it look like for me to find comfort in the fact that he's already saved me and find hope in that and find rest in that and find my satisfaction in that? My hope for you, if you are a follower of Christ today, that you will recognize that Jesus has saved you and he's got it all under his control. And it is going, this is going to sound weird, exactly according to plan. He knows and it's his plan and it's perfect. And if you're not a follower of Christ today, I would encourage you, if you have questions about this, how can the things in my life that are happening to me, how can that be according to God's plan? That causes you consternation. If that causes you concern, what I would ask you to do is just ask. And let's have a conversation about the way that God operates. Because God allows us free will. God allows us to make decisions and choices, and sometimes those are bad decisions. There were moments on the, over at Vitavu the other day where I was literally thinking, this might not have been the best decision. We have free will, 
And God operates in the midst of that. And what he wants to do is he wants you and he wants me to trust him in the midst of our hardships and find comfort and peace. Please bow your heads. God, I'm thankful that you are always with us. I'm thankful that you know the end of the story. And what I would do this morning is just pray that we would trust in your goodness. That we would ground our identities in you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.